I think Jonah is one of the fun stories in the Old Testament. God comes to Jonah and asks him to go to Nineveh, which is a city in a whole different country. They don't worship God. Uh, It's a pagan city, and as a result, there's a whole lot of things that go on there that are really evil. And that's the last place on earth, literally, that Jonah wants to go. And so, in fact, he doesn't do what God says. He runs away because he doesn't want to go to Nineveh and finds himself sitting here in the middle of a fish. Uh, this is a picture. I downloaded it. It's... He took it on his phone while he was there. It's a <laughs> selfie. Um, and, of course, at some point he finally figures out you can't run away from God. You can't fight God. And so Jonah gives up. And agrees to do what God had asked him to do all along. And he goes to Nineveh and does what God wanted. I wanted to show you Jonah today because I wanted to ask you if you see any resemblance between Jonah and maybe where we are today. Because it seems to me that it sounds a lot like our situation. Whether we like it or not, we seem to be living in a culture around us that is increasingly not interested in God. And as that culture wants to live on its own terms and by its own rules, there's more and more evil that we see around us that causes us to sort of like Jonah, run away and say, I want nothing to do with this. Well, we've been talking about The solid life, this maturity, that this year, for us to grow and have a kind of life that's rooted, that's solid, so when storms come, challenges in life, bad news, we can handle it, and in fact, we're growing. And we saw last week, there's actually some fruit in our life that we're having an impact, we're making a difference. Almost 40 people came yesterday and made a difference. They served. And we've been looking at those icons on the right. Different, we call them the D5. Five ways that we grow. Things we do that will allow us to become that kind of tree, to have that kind of solid life. From our own relationship with God as we kneel and as we connect with other people around here so we're not trying to do it by ourselves. And in that process, we, we work to grow, to learn, to become more, be like Jesus. And in that process, we learn what it is to serve and care about others. But how does that fit with that Jonah story? I think for a lot of us, we'd like to say, well, let's just stay in here. We're going to serve each other. That was that fifth, the fourth one. And these are the people we care about, and these are the people we love. And we can study in here, and we can pray in here, and we can grow in here. But it's very easy for that to bring us to a spot where we are like Jonah, saying, that world out there is really messed up. And it would be fine with me if it went to hell in a handbasket. It's easy to feel that way. I get it. I see the news and I watch it and say, God, how do you see this? 
The problem is that's not what Jonah, well, that's not what God thought. Here's what he says to Jonah, because Jonah sort of complains to him. And says, what are you doing letting all these people off the hook? What are you doing sending me here? You know what these people deserve. And basically God says to Jonah, Jonah, you, you don't get it. Here's what my heart sees. He says, I see more than 120,000 people who are so lost, so messed up, so confused. They can't even tell their left hand from their right. How can I not care about those people? That's why I sent you here, Jonah. That's why I overlooked the evil in their lives. I know they don't care about me. I know they don't want me. But I am their God. I am their creator. I am their father. And I see how lost they are. And I gotta care. So if that's God's heart, if that's where he's coming from, what's that going to say to us? This Matthew passage is the story that I know you're familiar with. It's the, the guy who's a shepherd and he's got a hundred sheep. And he says, the shepherd's counting the sheep and it's like, we're missing one. And if you work with animals and they're your animals, you do know you're missing one. He says, i got to go get that sheep. And he leaves the 99 down in the pasture where they're safe, they're, they're okay. But he says, i got to find that sheep. And he goes up into the mountains, into the danger, alone, whatever, because he's got to find that sheep. And when he finds that one sheep, he picks it up and he brings it home. And everybody rejoices because that lost sheep was found. Jesus said, that's God's heart. That's God's heart when he looks at Nineveh. That's God's heart today. The challenge for us is, will our heart look like God's heart? Part of spiritual maturity, you see, having that solid life growing is going to take us to a point where we not only serve the people we know here, the people who look like us and act like us and have the values we have and believe in God like us, at some point that final step is God is going to stretch us so much that we start to see the people out there through God's heart too. And we realize that those lost sheep are still God's sheep. And even if they're not interested, God's interested. Now, how do we do that today? It is a challenge. I was reading a book, and he used this analogy, and I thought it was so good, I wanted to share it today. Imagine you're before a jury, and it is very important for you to convince this jury to see your point of view of what really happened. And so you're up there, and you get your chance to talk to the jury, but imagine if the jury's not listening. You're talking and you're looking at them and they're fiddling around and maybe they're on their phone. I can't imagine a judge would let them have their phone. But let's say they are. They're looking around. They're talking to each other. And it's clear to you nobody's listening to you. 
how frustrating that would be. This is your one chance to talk to the jury, and they're not even listening. And I think that's how a lot of Christians feel today about the people around us. I'm trying to talk, and nobody's listening. What do we do? If you're like to me, I'd talk louder. Yell. And a lot of Christians have been trying that, haven't they? <laughs> but it doesn't work, does it? Yelling louder isn't going to get their attention. And so somewhere, if you're a smart person, you're going to stop. And you're going to say, why aren't they listening? And how do I get their attention? Because it's too important that you're able to talk to them. You see, our challenge today is earning people's trust. How do we get people to listen? It's not by talking louder. It's not by throwing more words at them. Honestly, as Christians, we've been using a fire hose of words to bombard people. And they're not listening. I ran across a quote by Erwin McManus. He's pastor at Mosaic Church in Los Angeles. If you're not familiar, Mosaic Church, which is in the middle of Nineveh, has had a phenomenal impact on the entire city of Los Angeles. Amazing church. But see what Irwin said. Before churches will be heard, they must reestablish trust. Oh, wait a minute. i got to read some more about that. Before what's on the board, people have given up on the truth because they don't believe anyone can be trusted anymore. The world is full of people who have been hurt by those who were supposed to love them. People they should have been able to trust. And they've had so much of that destroyed, they don't trust anyone anymore. Including Christians and churches. That brings us to this. Before churches will be heard, they must re-establish trust. And to establish trust, they must first show their ability to love. That's where we're at. If we want the jury to listen to this, we must convince them that they can trust us. And to convince them they can trust us we must show them that we care, that we love them. You've all heard this old axiom. People don't know how much you care. They don't, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We have to show people they care, that we care. We summarized Ephesians 3 on the front of some of our brochures we've started printing about MOVE. Showing God's love, not telling, showing God's love in all we do so that everyone can know Him. That's our challenge. Earning the right to be heard. To be that 
city on a hill. I love this passage that Jesus gave us from Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's what he asks us to do. To let our light shine. So they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How did Jesus do that? He did that by caring, didn't he? And showing people he cared as he fed them, as he touched them, as he went home to eat with them, as he defended them in front of a crowd that was ready to stone them. It was his actions that earned the trust so that people would then listen to him. And that's the final step for us as we try to grow and become mature Christians. That we would care, coming out of this church into the community around us, into the world around us, that we would come out of here and say, we need to earn the trust of this jury that's not listening anymore. And we've got to do that by our action, showing God's love and wisdom in all we do so that everyone can know him. Ran across a story this week from Little Rock, Arkansas. The story was told by the pastor at Fellowship Bible Church, although it was that church and several other churches that saw the need in the elementary schools of Little Rock. And they said, we have got to get out there and help these schools. And so they got out there and rehabbed playgrounds, rehabbed classrooms, provided supplies. They were in these schools. And here's a quote from one fourth grade teacher as she watched her classroom being restored by Christians, free as volunteers. She looked at that and looked over at them and said, if this is Christianity then I'm interested. If this is Christianity, I'm interested. It wasn't by what was said. It was by what was done that they earned her trust. So she wanted to find out more. That still works today, and it works here. I wanted you to hear this from not just me, who's the pastor and, and all of that stuff. I'm easy to write off. I get that. I wanted you to hear it from one of you. And we actually have a number of people who are out in the community making a difference, trying to show God's love. I asked Tracy DeMars if she would come and just talk for a little bit. She's been involved with Hope for Youth and other ways. And I just wanted her to share her own experience of getting out there and showing God's love. Hi, thanks everyone for having me. I'm really privileged to be able to talk about um, what God has done um, in my life. Um, I, just like thinking about Nineveh, am so discouraged by our world, just like most of you probably are. Every day we hear about horrible stories, and I think our defense is to sort of retreat and to mind our own business and really not get involved, to be a part of our own private little worlds. Um, I want to talk to you about how God wants to use you to change our world. Serving others was, is not a part of my hard wiring. When I was younger, my philosophy was much like Jonah, to each his own. 
While I had empathy for other people and I cared about what was going on in their lives, I kind of thought that, you know, maybe their life choices brought them to this point and it was their own fault that they were here. That was my excuse for not helping them. And probably worse than anything, I just thought, whew, glad my life isn't like that. Well, God has a way of humbling us and um, he really changed that for me in my life. Many years ago, I found myself in a severe crisis. I was a single uh, mother of three, pregnant, um, and I had very little money. Um, I was very, it was very scary. It was an uncertain time. I felt very alone. But God saw me, and he made himself known to me through what I call drive-by blessings. Um, has anyone ever had that happen to you? Some complete stranger just gives you something or does something for you that you don't expect. You don't deserve it. Um, it's pretty amazing. Some of the blessings were so supernatural that there was absolutely no way that I could deny that it was God doing it. One particular evening, it was really close to Christmas time, my baby was almost ready to be born, and I was sitting there, I had no money, I was trying to buy Christmas presents, I had no groceries, I had no gas, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And I'm not kidding you, I wasn't praying, I was feeling sorry for myself, and my doorbell rang. And there were five bags of groceries sitting on my, on my step. There were gas cards in the bottom of the bags. And there was a man and a boy, just shadows, walking down my driveway. I have no idea who they were to this day. And I closed the door, and I just cried. Because I knew that God had shown up on my doorstep. He saw me in my broken, hurting place. For a period of time, I had a really hard time receiving this. I had a hard time receiving charity. I think most people do. My pride was getting in the way of seeing what God was doing. He was reshaping and changing my heart so that I could see people in their hurting place. Since that time, my response has been to look out for God's prompting to perform drive-by blessings to anybody that he would have me perform them on. At all costs, though, I really try to remain anonymous to my victims because I fear that it will take away from the glory that God has planned for any of those blessings. I don't want it to be about me. Matthew says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. To be honored by others, truly I tell you, they have already received their full reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's interesting that God has a way of prompting me on my crabbiest, most self-pitying and challenging days. I mean, after all, doesn't he see that I need someone to love on me? But he does this because he knows there is no better way to bless me. And he's totally right. When God, God prompts you, be careful also not to put restraints on the blessing. His vision is so sovereign. And I want to show, share a story with you that I had a privilege to be a part of, and it just changed my life. Um, in the fall of 2011, my beloved dad was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. There was no stopping it. Um, I was watching one of the most amazing men that I have ever known slip away right before my eyes. Now, I typically in our neighborhood, I have a fantastic neighborhood, 
And a lot of the families would find charity or a family or somebody to bless at Christmas time. But, you know, under the circumstances with my dad being sick, I just figured I was exempt this year from having to do that. But I was wrong. One morning I was standing outside of a business. It wasn't opened. Um, And there was a woman standing there waiting for the business to open as well. She clearly was undergoing some form of cancer treatment. She looked very frail and sick. And I was doing my best to mind my own business and feel sorry for myself and um, trying to look as unapproachable as possible. And she said, do you go to Constance Church? And I said, yes. And she said, I've seen you there when I've visited occasionally with my sister. And I said, oh. And we chatted for a little while and we parted ways. All week I thought about her for whatever reason. I had no clue why she was on my heart. But that weekend at church, I saw her sister, and I said, oh, I met your sister. I'm sorry, she must be really sick. Something's going on with her. She went on to tell me that not only she had brain cancer, but she had four teenage sons. Her husband had left her, and she was so sick that she couldn't work. So her sons, teenagers, were working their part-time jobs to try to make money so that they could stay in their home unbelievable circumstances and over the weeks um, our church, our um, neighborhood Suzanne and Jason were part of this collected amazing gifts I mean people just poured out their hearts to this family and right before Christmas when I reached out to this woman to deliver these gifts she said you know I don't know if I'm going to have room to take on these gifts yet do you think you can hold on to them I think we're going to be evicted from our townhouse because our car broke down and my sons have no way to get to work anymore so for three days our neighbors and my family we um, raised $2,500 in three days to buy a car we had reached out to a mechanic there was no way to fix the current car so I started searching on Craigslist to find um, any kind of a car. Well, $2,500 doesn't buy very much. And so as I um, was looking, I was getting very discouraged, and suddenly a car popped up, brand new listing, and it was $2,500, unbelievable price. So I called the guy, and he said, well, clearly I underpriced my car because I've had seven calls in 30 minutes, and now I'm taking the highest bidder. I was so discouraged. So I was desperate, so I told him this woman's story, and I said, you know, will you help us bless this woman? And he hung up the phone. He said, well, let me think about it. And he called me back a couple hours later, and he said, yes, I'll let you buy the car. So on the day, the night that it was the delivery night to deliver all of these gifts, my neighbor drove me to meet this man to pick up the car. So I kicked the tires, pretended like I knew what I was doing, handed him the money, And he said, hey, by the way, I don't have a ride home. He said, can you drive me home? I was a little uncomfortable. It's the Craigslist guy. And I said, sure. I said, I'll drive you home. And so he gets in the car, and he doesn't even sit and buckle yet. And he says, are you really giving this car to a stranger? And I said, yes. And I shared the woman's story with him. And I also shared what had been done in my life by strangers in my past. And he went on to share with me that three years before that week, he had lost his four-month-old daughter to SIDS. And from that time, he stopped believing that God was about love. Um, As I pulled up to his house, before he got out of the car, he looked me right in the eyes. And he said, I have never met anyone like you. And I sat there amazed because he wasn't seeing me. He was seeing God's love. 
I drove away with my hands barely on the steering wheel. I was praising God. I was crying. I don't even know how I made it home. And I turned the corner to my house to see all of my neighbors lined up with their cars, ready to go do the most amazing drive-by blessing on this woman's life. It was amazing. But I also want to tell you about a time that I missed an opportunity. It was about a month ago in a grocery store. Um, I was minding my own business at the checkout line in a hurry, as always, when I noticed this woman in front of me. She was a complete mess. She She looked distraught. She was disheveled. And she was trying every credit card in her wallet to pay for her groceries. And everyone was denied. I have been there in my past. I felt God's prompting to pay for her $50 worth of groceries. However, as the situation escalated, as she kept trying more cards, she kept getting more and more frustrated. And she started being really rude to the cashier. And I also kind of got the sense that she was drinking and I judged her. Even with the prompting from God still heavy on my heart, I denied her God's love, and I didn't pay for her groceries. Do you think that the people who dropped the groceries off at my doorstep have a clue the impact that they made on my life? A simple act of dropping groceries off at my home changed my life and has impacted the lives of many that God has given me the opportunity to touch. In Matthew, it says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure that you use, it will be measured on you. And in Galatians, it says, there is neither Greek nor Jew, there is neither slave nor free, and there is no male or female, for you are one in Christ. Ask God to give you his eyes to see this world, not yours. Let the man in the, like the man in the car, God is the only one who knows who needs to be touched at a particular random moment, and you are the conduit for him to touch them. God promises that a life, that if we concentrate on blessing others, that he will take care of our needs. There's almost nothing that God won't do for a person who wants to help other people. In fact, he guarantees this blessing. I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive as many as much as many times as much in this age and in the age to come, life eternal. I urge you to get on the drive-by blessing team because it'll be you that's blessed. It's a team that God wants to use to change this broken world. Thanks for your time. I hope you can see both sides of that story. God used Tracy to show his love, to get the jury to listen. But in the process, Tracy didn't lose. And the people who helped her, they were blessed back. You see, that's that craziness of Jesus who says, by losing your life, you'll find it. And that's why, as a part of maturity, the D5, it's not all about us. Part of maturity is learning from Jesus that it's in serving others, in caring about a world that's like Nineveh, that we become closest to God's heart. 
And that's why that's in there. That's why one of those strips says care. Care about them. And not just here in Anoka County. Around the world. And we're going to talk about that next week. But it starts here. Because this is where we have the easiest opportunity to care. In just people we see. I want to leave you with that challenge. We're making some good beginnings as a church. I'm excited by how we are growing in this. We're working with Family Promise and helping homeless families. We're working at Hope for Youth to help homeless teenagers. We start this week the food shelf and for a month really targeting food and money to help those who don't have enough to eat. We're working in two elementary schools. But I want to tell you God's vision, we're not done. I don't know what he's got planned, but I'm convinced there's more. That he wants to use us to do, to care like he cares. Maybe you want to be involved in one of those things I just mentioned. Put that on that connections card. We haven't passed them in yet. Say, I want to help. I, I, I'll help with the food shelf or, or one of the elementary schools. Or I just want to help. We've got an engaged team that's trying to look for opportunities in this community that we can be Jesus' hands and feet. The great good news is if you'll do that, push yourself out of your comfort zone, you'll be blessed too. As well as being a blessing that God uses to touch others. Let's commit ourselves to do that for Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much that You care. You cared about Nineveh. We celebrated communion and Andy read Philippians 2 that says how much Jesus cared enough to leave heaven and die on a cross for us. We shouldn't be surprised that you ask us to care. Help us understand that and the importance of it. Help us step out of our comfort zones. And let you use us to touch others around us. Help us care. In Jesus' name, amen.